Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. We're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, For those of you that are new to City Walk, before we dive into uh, part two of a series we started last week, my name's Chris. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new to City Walk, or if you're, man, you've been coming for a little while and you were wondering, like, are these people like really weird? It's going to take me a few months to see if I want to be part of this group here. Uh, but, and you've gotten to the point where you're like, I'd at least take a step. I'm still wondering about a few of them, but I'd be willing to take a step. Uh, after service, and we do this once a month, uh, we have a thing called Intro to City Walk. And basically what that is, it's about 30 to 45 minutes Starts 10 to 15 minutes after the service over in the fellowship hall. And uh, it's a time where you'll get a chance to hear a little bit about the history of our church. You'll get a, a, to, to hear a little bit about why we do what we do. Uh, you'll be able to ask any questions that you want and just kind of find out how to best take steps to get connected. And so if you're, uh, you're kind of in that spot where you're like, yeah, I'm ready to at least find out a little bit more. I want to invite you to stay after, like I said, 10 or 15 minutes after the service. We'll start over in the fellowship hall. We'll have some light snacks and uh, some, some drinks and stuff. So uh, it'll kind of hold you over so you, none of us will get hangry before we got to go eat. Uh, but, but it's a good time. And so I want to invite you to that. So some of you know me, some of you don't. But I, I grew up in a, a family where probably the very first Sunday that I was home from the hospital... We, we were in church. I obviously don't remember that, but we were in church. That's kind of the, the type of family that I grew up in. And for some of you, you're like, you know what? Man, I was 40 years old before I went to church for the first time. And so you might have a different background. But for me, I, I grew up in a home where as early as I can remember, church, the Bible, prayer was just kind of part of our life. Uh, I remember as a little kid, my mom, before I would go to bed each night, mom and dad would, and mainly it was mom, if what I can remember, she, she'd read verses to me, we would memorize scripture, she would tell me Bible stories kind of as our kind of ritual of getting me tucked into bed at night. And, and I can remember that. I can remember one night when I was uh, in preschool, my mom talking to me about Jesus, and I wanted to know how to have a relationship with God. I obviously didn't know all the theology, and I, I couldn't you know, t- say all the stuff of, of even what I believed about different things, but I, I knew enough to know, man, I wanted a relationship with God. And so I remember as a little kid, my mom right there before I went to bed, helping me make a decision to follow Jesus. When I was five years old, uh, my family moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Lakeland, Florida. And uh, it was kind of a big move for our family. And I remember probably what would have been the very first Sunday, maybe the second Sunday that we were in Florida. I remember us getting in a car 
And dad, there was no like Google, there was no internet, there was no go check out church websites or social media. It was, hey, I've heard about three or four good churches and we're going to go as a family, find a church to, to go to. And so I remember going and the very first church we went to was a church called Heritage Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, we had such a good time. I remember at the end of the service, kind of getting in the car and saying, hey, dad, I think we're good. I don't, I don't think we need to visit any others. I think this is good. And so, man, we never left. That was our church. That was our home church. And I remember every Sunday getting up and, man, going to my little kid's class. And I remember loving playing games. I remember just enjoying church. I remember the teacher, you know, telling us Bible stories. And I was elementary age. Just, I just remember loving that. And, and if you grew up kind of in that same type of thing, you remember, and if you're about my age, there were two tools that were like technologically extremely savvy. Like if you had these, you were like really good at teaching children. And the, the first one, and you'll remember this, was a flannel graph board. If you grew up in church, the, if, when your teacher broke this out, it was game on. Like she broke out the Goliath and put him on there. And then David was a little character and kind of put him on there. And here's the stone flying through the air. And man, I, I remember that. I remember loving that. Man, I was glued, glued. And then there was a second, like extremely important technological tool that if you had it, you were kind of on the cutting edge and it was the overhead projector. And, and if some of you remember that, man, and that was like, Wow, that, that, was, that was big stuff. And we, you know, I remember loving that and loving going to church, loving, man, you broke out a puppet show in children's church. That was like over, it's like, is this heaven? Because that was even better. But I remember that. I remember enjoying that. I remember enjoying learning about the Bible. And, and really from as early as I can remember, I just believed the Bible. People I loved and trusted told me it was true. I knew there was an element of faith to it, but I was okay with that, and I just kind of believed the Bible. But then I went away to college, and this might be part of your story as well. I went away to college, and I remember meeting a guy that challenged me. He, he asked me questions I didn't have the answers to. He, he challenged some of my assumptions, and I remember for the very first time questioning my faith. And I wasn't at a spot where I was ready to throw in the towel on my faith. I wasn't there, but I remember questioning my faith a little bit. I remember being at a spot where I, I knew I had to have a better answer to my why questions than this is what my mom said. I was in that spot where the, my mom said it or my pastor said it just wasn't an answer. I needed to know more. I needed to know why I believed what I believed. And... and whether your kind of background, and maybe you'd say, Chris, I, that, that's my background exactly, or whether, whether your background's like mine, or maybe, man, you didn't grow up in church at all, you didn't question faith a lot because it just wasn't part of your life, doesn't matter where you kind of grew up or kind of what background you have, whether you're online or you're here with us this morning, every single one of us at some point in our life have had some why questions as it relates to faith. And we, we might not even call it faith, but we had some why questions about God or about what's out there, what happens after we die. Every single one of us has had some why questions 
that we've dealt with. And unfortunately, the church hasn't always been a safe place to grapple with those why questions. In fact, for some of you, it might be why you walked away from the church for a season. Because, man, you you had some legitimate questions that you were struggling with. You had some legitimate questions that that you were asking. And and, and people made you feel like unspiritual or ungodly because you even had those questions. And and then they would give you little pat answers, little token answers. And, well, you just got to believe more. And, And for you, it was like, these are legitimate questions I have. And I don't feel like I'm even welcome to ask these things. And so for you, there was a season you just threw in the towel and walked away. Because of kind of the, what you saw and the reaction you were given when you had some legitimate questions. Which is one of the reasons that last week we started a series to kind of lean in and take an honest look at some of those why questions. And if you were here last week, if you weren't, I encourage you to, to watch it on YouTube or get the podcast. We, the first question that we dealt with was this, man, why do we have bad days? You might ask it a different way. Why do, good things ha- or why do bad things happen to good people? We've all had a version of that question kind of surface to the top in our, our mind and our heart. And we, we dealt with that. We talked about it. And today we're going to look at another question that you may have grappled with, you may have even wondered, you may have been afraid to ask, and it's simply this question, why should I trust the Bible? Like, why, why is this book any different, better, worse than any other religious book? Why should I put my trust in what this book says? It's a great question. And for some of you, you you grew up in a home where you were taught the Bible as as far back as you remember. And like me, you you didn't question it as a kid. But then you grew up. And somebody asked you a question you didn't know the answer to. Somebody raised an argument or surfaced something about an Old Testament passage. They poked a hole in in a passage of Scripture and you, you didn't know the answer to it. And so you began to question everything because you didn't know the answers. And if that's your story, then there's some really good news. There's a lot of good news in this, but, but there's some really good news if, if that's your story. If your story is, hey, I, I believed it as a kid, I trusted it as a kid, but then I went to college and the professor asked me this question or this person posed this question, this person poked a hole in something I thought was true and, 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 and I just kind of folded and I, I started to question everything. Man, if that's your story, there's some really good news. And, and here's the good news. The foundation of our faith isn't the Bible. For some of you, you're like, whoa, 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 that's a, hold up, hold up, Chris, I thought you were a like, good guy that believed the Bible. No, the foundation of our faith isn't the Bible. See, the foundation of our faith is an event. See, Peter, he didn't deny Jesus and then follow Jesus because the Bible told him to. James didn't follow his brother because there was a verse in the Bible that told him to. Paul didn't try to kill Christians and then come to a spot in his life because he read the Bible that he said, oh, I've been killing Christians, but now I'm actually going to become a follower and I'm going to become passionate about spreading the word. 
None of them did that because of the Bible. There weren't thousands of people in the first century that followed Jesus and that became the church because of the Bible. And here's something you might not have known. It wasn't all written yet. When, when all these people followed Jesus, they, nobody gave them a, a Romans road track because Paul hadn't written Romans yet. The reason that people followed Jesus, the reason that Peter went from denying Jesus to following Jesus and giving his life for Jesus, the reason thousands upon thousands of people followed Jesus in the first century had nothing to do with the book. It had everything to do with the resurrection. See, they had seen someone die and come back to life. And it changed everything for them. Which brings us back to the question I asked earlier. So, why should I trust the Bible? Why, why is the Bible a big deal? When, when I say the word trust, what do I mean by even trust? Well, let me, let me show you a passage in 2 Timothy that Paul wrote. And it kind of explains what we mean when we say trust the Bible. What are we trusting? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. All, so we're all educated people, so I don't have to tell you what all means. All scripture is inspired. The word inspired means God breathed. It's kind of a, another way to say it. All scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And it is profitable. It's profitable. It's helpful. What's it helpful for? Is, is part of it helpful and part of it not? Is part of it profitable and part of it not? No, no, no. All Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed and it is profitable. Even the, the stuff in the Old Testament that's kind of weird, yes, it's profitable and it's inspired. That's what Paul believed. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for basically showing us when we're off, when we're wrong, for correcting, showing us how to go from wrong to, hey, what do I need to do to get right? And for training in righteousness. And it goes on, it says, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when we say, hey, what do we trust the Bible? And what does that word trust mean? It means that we believe the Word of God is inspired, it is God-breathed, and all of it is profitable. Not some of it, not part of it, but all of it is profitable. It's profitable for several things that Paul lays out. Which leads me to this statement. So I believe that the Bible is true and can be trusted not because someone told me that but because of several other reasons. And I want to share with you some of these. Some of these I've shared with our church before. The, the first one is this. The, one of the reasons that I believe the, the Bible is true and can be trusted is because the Bible is the most reliable collection of ancient writings. You say, Chris, that's a pretty bold statement. It, it is. You're right. It is a bold statement. But let me tell you why I say that. Because if you know anything about ancient writings, you know that there's really two primary ways that they measure the reliability of ancient writings. 
The, the first one is this. How many copies of that writing do we have? Because bottom line, if you have 100 copies, there's 100 you can compare to. If you only have one copy of the writing, it's, it's hard to say, well, I, I guess that's what it said, but I don't have a lot to compare it to. So how many copies of that original writing do we have? And then the second measurement that this isn't a biblical measurement, this is just how people measure. The second measurement is this. What's the time gap from when the, thing, the, the, the writing was originally written and the first copy that we have? Most of the ancient writings that you believe that you read about in school, we don't have their originals, but we have a lot of copies of them. So how many copies do we have? And then the second thing, how, how far from when it was originally written to the very first copy that we have? And so let, let me give you some examples. So Plato, he's somebody, he's not a Disney dog, Pluto, he's Plato, different guy. So he lived in about 400 BC. He was a Greek philosopher, mathematician. Uh, you, you've heard of him. We have about 210 copies of Plato's writing. So that's, that's a pretty good amount. The time gap from when he originally wrote those things to the very first copy that we have is 1,300 years. So it's, it's a little while from, man, like the first copy we have from when he actually wrote it, it's, it's a while. How, how many, and it's a rhetorical question, but some of you, you read Socrates and, and you're into some of that. You know, we don't, even ha we, have, we don't even have one copy of Socrates' writings. We have zero copies. The only way that we know what he said is what Plato said he said. So, so this is one, and, and you've heard it. Another one. So Julius Caesar, the Gaelic Wars. So we have about 251 copies. The time gap from when it was originally written to the very first copy we have, 950 years. So it's a little bit shorter than Plato. The, the, the standard for kind of historical accuracy, and, and if you're a literature person, you've heard of this one, Homer's Iliad. It's a poem, if you can call it that, with over 15,000 lines. So that's, that's rough. If you're tired and you can't go to sleep, Read Leviticus or read that, and you're probably going to go to sleep pretty quick. Uh, but 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 so so it's kind of the standard. It's the standard for historical accuracy, and you can see why. We have 1,800 copies of that writing, and the time gap isn't that long. It's it's 400 years. I mean, compared to Julius Caesar's writing and Plato's, it's a lot shorter. So. You can see, and this, like I said, this is secular people that don't believe about God. This is the kind of standard. So let's talk about the, the New Testament. So how many copies do we have of the New Testament? We have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament. The time gap from when it was originally written to the first copy we have, 50 years. You, you add in the Old Testament, we have 66,000 copies. And here's the beautiful thing. Of these 24,000 copies of the New Testament, over 5,000 of them are the entire New Testament. And so, like I said earlier, man, I, I don't believe the Bible is tr to be trusted. And, and I, don't, I don't trust the Bible because somebody told me I trust the Bible for one reason, because, man... It's the most, by far, 
the most reliable collection of ancient writings that we have, by far. But, but let me tell you a second reason. And maybe you're, you're here and there's maybe two types of people watching online. You're, you're here. You, you might have come in this morning and you might be investigating faith and skeptical. And so for you, I would say, man, kind of lean in and just continue to let this be part of the discussion as you're working through it in your mind. But, but you might also be a follower of Jesus. I know there's a lot of you in here too, or some watching online, maybe listening on a podcast. And for you, if I was to ask you, hey, why do you trust the Bible? It might get quiet pretty quick. You might, oh, my, I think my pastor told me that. I think my grandma, she was pretty big on the Bible, so I believe it. We got to have more than that. Got to have more than that. So let, let's talk about it, some other reasons. Another reason I trust the Bible and, and, and the Old Testament specifically is this. Jesus took the scriptures and specifically the Old Testament very seriously. Jesus believed it. See, Christians take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus did. E even though if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably didn't come to know Jesus because somebody took you to Numbers chapter 10, verse 8 and said, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus from this passage. Probably somebody shared with you a verse out of the Gospels or something that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And there's, there's people out there that would say, hey, yeah, the New Testament's great, but ah, we're not sure on the Old Testament. We don't know if we buy into all that. Well, then you would be in disagreement with Jesus. Because one of the reasons that we can trust the Bible and that we can lean into the Scripture, specifically the Old Testament, is because Jesus did. He constantly referenced the Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says it this way. He says, he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law. I didn't come here to like take the Old Testament and burn it and throw it out. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish. I came to fulfill it. Jesus, he constantly referenced the Old Testament. Jesus constantly referenced specific people in the Old Testament. There was a, a group of religious leaders that came to Jesus one day and said, Hey, Jesus, tell us what you believe about divorce. This must, I mean, hot topic. He throw it out there like, we're going to get Jesus in this one. He's going to say the wrong thing. It's going to discredit him. So, hey, Jesus, tell us what you believe about divorce. And he says, okay. Matthew 19, 4. This is Jesus. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them, who's he referring to? Who, who's he referring to? That, that obvi it's obvious to the people he's talking to. Everybody just knows who he's talking about. He's talking about Adam and Eve. And, and the people that he was talking to, they, they knew, oh yeah, he's talking about Adam and Eve. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. See, I don't believe the story of Adam and Eve because somebody else told me. I believe it because Jesus did. I believe what I believe about a lot of things because it's what Jesus believed. I believe what I believe about marriage because it's what Jesus believed. I believe what I believe about a lot of different areas because Jesus believed it. And it's like, I'm just all in with him. So argue with him. Because, you know, and you, maybe you'll have one day you can do that. 
probably don't want to do that. If, if you have that opportunity, probably other things you'd rather do. But, but man, you, Jesus believed it. So yeah, is there some crazy stuff in the Old Testament? Yes. There's some crazy stuff. You read through the Old Testament, you're like, what in the world? And there is, there's some, there's some crazy stuff in the Old Testament, but, but we take it seriously because Jesus did. But there's another reason. Obviously, the, the scriptures in the Bible are the most historically accurate. I mean, it's, it, 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 compare it to anything else in literature that we buy into that we believe, that we take as truth, that we take as fact. Another reason is, man, we, we believe it because Jesus did. I mean, Jesus pointed to the Old Testament all the time. Jesus pointed to specific people, talked about Moses, talked about Adam and Eve, talked about Abraham very specifically because he believed it. He took it as inspired and true. But then there's a, there's a third, a last reason. And there's others, but, but one more that, that I, I want to share with you. Another reason that, that we can trust the Bible is because of the authenticity of the Gospels and what they say about Jesus. So when we talk about the Gospels, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So those are the, the books that are most about Jesus. They're kind of the story of Jesus from, from four different perspectives. We, we believe that Mark's book was a lot of the influence from that book was Peter. So Mark wrote it, but, but Peter was there with him. And so a lot of it could be, could be the gospel of Peter, if you could call it that almost, because he helped Mark a lot. But, but these, these were a lot about Jesus. It was the story of Jesus. And, and, and here's an objection, and this is a legitimate objection that, that, that I've heard people say. So, so here's the objection. So since the Bible is the source of what Jesus said, Aren't we using the Bible to prove the Bible? Like, think about it. Aren't we using, like, chapter 10 of the book to prove chapter 13 of the book? Like, of course they're going to agree they're the same book, right? And if, you're, if you don't understand the Bible and how it was put together, that, that does make sense. But, but here's the thing. The word Bible actually means books. It's a Latin term that comes from a Greek term that, that literally means the books, See, the Bible isn't one book. The Bible is a collection of ancient manuscripts, of 66 ancient manuscripts. 39 of them were written in Hebrew Aramaic, and they make up the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. And then the others, the other 27, they were written in Greek, and they make up the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. And here's the thing. All of these ancient manuscripts existed before they were put in a book. These are 66 separate books that were collected because of their reliability and to put into what you and I have as a Bible. See, and, and the most important, I already said this, but the most, kind of the most important books in that collection that talk to us about Jesus, which is obviously a pretty big deal, is those first four in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and, and Christians, and, and here's the thing, Christians don't believe the Gospels are reliable because they're in the Bible. 
Christians believed the Gospels were included in the Bible because they are considered reliable. See, those that studied it, those that compared, that they believed that they were the authentic words of Jesus, the authentic actions, the story of Jesus, and that's why they're in the Bible. And the Gospels, they're considered reliable because of who wrote them, but also because of when they were written. And this is so important. If you've ever questioned the authenticity, this is so, so important. The, the, the Gospels are considered reliable because of who wrote them, obviously, but not just who, but when they were written. So if you're a history person, you know, and if you know anything about the Jewish history, other than what we have in the, Old, or the New Testament and in the Old Testament, probably the, the biggest event really in the history of the Jewish nation happened in 70 AD. So in 70 AD, the Jewish temple, which was the center of everything that they did kind of religiously, all their sacrifices, that was kind of the center. If you were to go to Jerusalem back then, it was ridiculously big compared to how big the city was. It was central in what they did, how they lived. And in 70 AD, the Jewish temple and Jerusalem were destroyed. And we, we have writings from people like Josephus, who was not a guy that wrote in the Bible. He was a historical writer that we get a lot of our history from, from that's not biblical history, but extra. And, and here's what Josephus said about kind of what was going on and how bad this was for the Jewish people. He said this, he said, the slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle without. Men and women, old and young, insurgents and priests, those who fought and those who entreated mercy were hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. The legionaries had to clamor over heaps of dead to carry on the work of extermination. We're not talking about like, oh, just a little conflict. We're talking about destruction of the city of Jerusalem, destruction of the, the temple, destruction of all of the things that they did for worship, and, and estimates are on the low end, 300,000 up to over a million Jewish people were killed in this 70 AD. And, and see, here's the thing, and you're like, why, why are you telling me that? I, I think I heard something about that in history class. Here's why I'm telling you that, because there's no mention of the war against the Jews or the destruction of the Jewish temple in the New Testament. Not one person mentions it. And the whole New Testament took place in the same area. So if this is the biggest thing in the history of the Jewish nation, other than what we already know, like this is huge, just life-changing, everything. People by the hundreds of thousands were killed, the Jewish temple destroyed, all their ceremonies done for. You would think... Somebody would have mentioned it. But here's why they didn't mention it. They didn't mention it because it hadn't happened yet. Which means Jesus was crucified in about 32 to 33 AD. This took place in 70 AD. So that means the entire New Testament was written in that 37 years. So it wasn't, hey, you know what, a couple hundred years ago, I think this happened. It was 
Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of eyewitnesses were there. And, and you, you, it wasn't like Matthew could write stuff that wasn't true. Like these, this is, the people are around that, that really, it all happened. And, and they were able to write these things down because there were so many eyewitnesses. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't, well, I think this happened or kind of through the, the legend of Jesus hundreds of years ago. I think this is kind of what happened. It wasn't a myth. This is all was written down within four decades of when it all took place. And it's one of the reasons that the, the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, are so reliable. Because historians will tell you it takes about 80 to 90 years before myth starts to happen. Because all the eyewitnesses have to die. And then you begin to have myths and, oh, the legend... But, and so you got to wait at least 80 or 90 years to, to, to put together some of that stuff. But this all took place within four decades of when it actually happened. Which makes the New Testament, specifically the gospel, so reliable. The gospels are reliable because of who wrote them and when they were written. They were written when it was happening. They were written when there were hundreds and hundreds of people that they could interview that were really there, that saw everything. Whether you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, or you're, or you're here, and man, we're, we're all different places in our faith. So you, different places. Some of you, you might be investigating faith, and honestly, you're, you're a little skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. For some of you, you, you recently started following Jesus. Maybe for some of you, in the last few weeks, you, you kind of started to follow Jesus. You don't have all the answers about everything in the Bible, but man, you, you realized that you needed a Savior, and so you kind of took that step to believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the grave, and you put your trust in Jesus. And then there's others of you that, man, you've been following Jesus for a long time. You've been following Jesus for decades. And so if you had to put yourself in a lane, what lane would you put yourself into? Would you put yourself kind of in that lane of, I'm a little skeptical of the whole thing? Or would you put yourself in the lane of, you know what? No, I'm a follower of Jesus. And if you would put yourself in that in the kind of skeptic lane, let me ask you a question, just an honest question. Man, what's your reason for not believing if you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, yeah, that's Chris. If I'm honest, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of in that skeptic lane. Like, what is it? What's the reason that you would say that, that man, I don't believe? I mean, did it start with somebody kind of poking holes in, in the Bible and asking you questions you didn't, have, you didn't know the answers to? I mean, were you under the false assumption that the Bible was the foundation and, and not the resurrection? Like, like what, what, what's your reason? And maybe a bigger question than that, would you be willing to just lean in and maybe delve into the scriptures again and kind of look at it with an open mind again? Maybe just look at it and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to look at it with a fresh, kind of a fresh look. I've been skeptical of the whole thing, but man, I've, I've heard enough where I, I at least think it's, it's worth leaning back into with a fresh look. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would kind of put yourself in that, that lane of, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so here's my question for you. 
what's your reason for believing? Like if your answer is, my parents or my pastor told me that, you probably need a better answer than that. Unless your pastor or your parent is Jesus, which I don't think any of you have a dad that's Jesus, but man, you know, if you do, I'd love to meet him. Uh, but but not, nobody, you know, it's a joke, obviously. But, but I think it's important that we have a better answer than, you know what, that's what my Sunday school teacher told me when I was four. Because your college professor is going to tell you the opposite, so who's right? And so I think if we're, if we're a follower of Jesus, my question for you is, man, what's your reason for believing? And, and here's the good thing. You can walk through life confident in what you believe and why you believe it. You don't have to walk through life and hope somebody doesn't ask you this question or that question, because if they ask you that one, you're done. Like you can walk through life and, 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 and be confident about what you believe and not just what you believe, why you believe it. See, your role is not to defend every single verse in the Bible. Here's what your role is. It's to bring the hope of a resurrected Jesus to the spaces you're in. That's your job. That's your role. Your role isn't to know every single, this is what the Greek meant there, and this is what this meant there. I mean, study the Bible, know as much as you want, but, but God doesn't need you to like, man, if he can't defend every verse, we're done in heaven. No, he, he wants us to, man, be ready to tell people why you have hope. And it's because of the resurrected Jesus. See, can the Bible be trusted? It's a big question. And the answer, and we could talk for a lot longer than this morning, but you'd get mad at me, is yes. I'd get mad at me, honestly. I'd be like, in and out isn't going to eat itself. I got to get there. So, yes, the Bible can be trusted. It can be trusted. And not only can it be trusted, but man, it has the power to change people. Year after year, story after story, we see God using his word to heal. We see God using his word to give life to the hurting and to the broken. Psalm 119, David said it this way in verse 105. He said this, he says, your word, it's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. Your word, it's a lamp and it's a light. And so no matter what lane you're in, I dare you to regularly and humbly spend time in the scriptures. Spend time in the scriptures, not as a task, not as a box to check, but as a relationship with a holy God who loved you enough to send his son so you could have that relationship. And use that time in God's word, not, not like it's a class, but it's a relationship. It's intimacy because that's what he wants. And as you grow in intimacy with Jesus, as I grow in intimacy with Jesus, we will then better reflect Jesus to the people in the spaces that we live in throughout the week. Which is the point. It's not to be the answer man or woman. 
It's to be the person that people look at and say, something is different. I need that. I want that. I've seen them go through hard times, but there's, a, there's some peace that they have that we, I don't have. They, they love people so differently than everybody else. They're so humble. I, I, need, I need what they have. And then you to, to have the boldness and the courage and the preparation enough so when those conversations open up, you are ready to tell them about the hope that you have. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we close up this morning, maybe you're here and you would say, Chris, I'm, I'm kind of in that spot where I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I would, I would kind of put myself in that spot of a little bit skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. If you kind of came to church or you're watching online and that's kind of your story, let me ask you a question with every head bowed and every eye closed, just an honest question. Would you be willing to doubt your doubts? Would you be willing to lean in in a fresh way? And a good, good place to start is by reading those Gospels that I told you about. By, by opening up Luke or Mark or Matthew or John and just reading about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. If that's you, if you say, you yeah, know, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. i little skeptical of this whole thing. Would you just maybe just take a step and say, you know what? I'm going to doubt my doubts. And I'm going to just lean in in a fresh way. And I'm going to spend some time in the story of Jesus with an open heart. And there might come a spot. And maybe you're at that spot now where you're like, man, I'm kind of already there. Where you, you come to a spot where the same spot that a lot of us have come to where you just can't say no to Jesus anymore. As you read about how he loved people, how he gave himself for people, it just may overwhelm you to the point where you say, you know what, I need a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today or if that's you this week as you spend time in the Gospels, man, you can have that relationship. You can have your relationship even with your doubts. You just got to be willing to admit to God that you're a sinner. Admit to God, you know what, God, I have failed. I have disobeyed you. I've done things my way. You have to be willing to believe that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave for you. And then you just got to ask, God, would you come into my life? Not based on anything good that I've done, but based on what your son Jesus did. I want you to come into my life and transform me. I want a relationship. You can do that. You can do that right now. Right where you're seated. Right where you're watching this. Just between you and God. God, I need you. I admit that I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. I believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave. And I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. Just tell him. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, man, I, I didn't come here really prepared to make that decision. But man, I did. I just, I just did. Or I have questions. I want to know more about it. 
There's a little decision card right in front of you if you're here. And you can just write on that decision card the decision you made or the question you have. And on your way out, you can take it by the next steps table or just drop it in the offering basket if you don't want to talk to anybody about it. And man, we'll give you a call later this week and just love to talk to you about it. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a decision card there. Maybe you're here and you would say, Chris, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been following him for a few weeks. Maybe you've been following him for, man, for years, for decades. And, and if that's you, why do you believe? Why do you believe? You don't have to have the answer to every Bible question. But the call on your life is to love people the way Jesus did. And take the opportunities he gives you to tell people why you're a follower of Jesus. Why you have hope. And your hope is based on an event that really took place. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. In just a second, the the band's going to lead us in a song. And if you, man, you just want to talk to somebody, you want someone to pray with you about really anything. Glenn and Corinne are right down front. They'll be down here through the last song and then a little bit even after the service. If there's any questions you have, if they can pray with you, man, they're down here for you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that, man, we can trust your word. That we can read your word with confidence that it is the inspired word of God that is meant to transform. And it's been doing that for thousands of years. And Lord, I pray that as we walk out of this building, as we're maybe watching online, as we turn it off and it's kind of go about our day, God, that we would go about our day with a greater confidence in your word. And what you have called us to do to give people the hope that we have because of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.